I'm sorry, 2 Kings chapter 3. 2 Kings chapter 3, and we're going to read one verse, and then we'll have you, we'll pray and we'll have you seated here. But 2 Kings chapter 3, verse number 18. 2 Kings 3 and verse number 18. Amen. 2 Kings chapter 3, verse number 18. We'll read this. It's just one verse. We'll pause at any punctuation. We'll read this out loud together. 2 Kings chapter 3 and verse number 18. Ready? Begin. And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites also into your hand. And let's pray. God, we do thank you so much, Lord, for your word. I thank you, uh, Lord, even on a, a crazy weekend as it has been, Lord, uh, we still have church and we still have the Bible. We still have, uh, Lord, the comfort and the peace that you give. I ask you just help us this morning. Help us as we uh, dive into this study. Uh, Lord, help us to learn something from your word. I thank you for just already been, uh, been blessed and encouraged by the fellowship of the people here and the laughter. Um, but Lord, just help us as we focus, Lord, would your will be done in the service today. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much. You can be seated. And I'm going to put this down real fast. Get it out of the way. All right. Uh, Brother Stephen, if you could drink water for me, that would be great. That'd uh, give me something else to do. All right, now, here we go. First Kings, or Second Kings chapter 3. Um, I, I, I just recently um, I just kind of got with the, the epitome. I, the, the, I shoveled the, dry, the sidewalk here just a little bit. I didn't do all the major work. Uh, but as I was shoveling, I was like, wow, a Texas boy. In West Virginia, shoveling ice and, and snow off of a sidewalk—that's crazy. All right, but uh, but the Lord is good. I didn't, I couldn't have planned that from the beginning. But I'm thankful to be here. Really, you guys are amazing. I appreciate being uh, in this church. Uh, our family, we we love we love being here. We love the fellowship that you guys bring and, and welcoming us in. I'm a Texan and a Pennsylvania girl. You welcomed us in with our with our. I was going to say six kids. Whew. All right, four kids, six of us total. But thank you. Yes. Anyway. Uh, I'm going to get it when I get home. But, uh, but uh, yes, just four kids. Thank you for welcoming us here to the church. I really do appreciate that. Um, the, the passage we're going to be talking about today is probably is a passage that, that uh, you, don't, you're not, you don't usually hear preaching on. Uh, but there's a great truth here I want to bring uh, from us. I, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I just preached this on Friday uh, when I preached it to the, the chapel, the men's chapel over in the rescue mission. So Brother Juan's already heard this. So Brother Juan is the only one. Well, I was saying he'd have permission to sleep, but he's, he's watching the camera. So we don't want him to sleep. Uh, but, uh, but it's a good truth. Let's go ahead and we'll, we'll learn something hopefully uh, today. But if you take your Bible, 2 Kings, uh, look at chapter 3. But we're going to start in verse number 2. I'll kind of give you context of the sermon, but the title of my message this morning is, Are We Sacrificing Our Future? Are We Sacrificing Our Future? And I, I, it'll make sense as we go about through here, but 2 Kings chapter 3, and we'll start in verse number 2, um, we, we, we see here there's a king of Israel, and uh, we see a, a very broad description, or a very specific description of this king of Israel, Joram. Uh, verse number 2, the Bible says this, And he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and like his mother, for he put away the image of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he cleaved unto the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin, and he departed not. Therefrom. Now we are, we are introduced to this new king. Ahab was the king, his father, 
And uh, Ahab was a very wicked king. The Bible talks about Ahab being the most wicked king in Israel. And him and Jezebel were a, a dynamic duo and causing the children of Israel to sin greatly. Um, bringing back uh, sacrifices and child sacrifices and all this altar worship, Baal worship. And uh, they brought in a, a ton of junk back into the children of Israel. Um, but we see here Jer- uh, um, Joram is coming in as the, the next king in line. His father has passed away. And he's the next king. But he's still evil. Uh, he's still evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, but he does have a little bit of standards, I guess. Um, it's like eating pizza out of a trash can, but it's still in the box. I mean, it's, it's bad, but it's not as bad as if you picked it up off the bottom of the trash can. Still bad. Um, but here's the thing, Joram, is, uh, he's the next king in line, and uh, we still see that he's evil. He's still wrought evil in the sight of the Lord. Um, but he's, he's a wicked king, but still, um, you know, we, we see here just kind of a little bit of description of him. He's not like his father and his mother Jezebel, but he's still evil. He's still wicked. Let's look at verse number uh, 4, if you will. The Bible says, And Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep master, and rendered unto the king of Israel an hundred thousand lambs and a hundred thousand rams with the wool. But it came to pass, when Ahab was dead, that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. And King Jehoram went out of, uh, went out of Samaria at the same time and numbered all Israel. And he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab hath rebelled against me. Wilt thou go with me against Moab to battle? And he said, I will go up. I am as thou art, my people as thy people, and my horses as thy horses. Um, so we, we kind of see here, we've got the, uh, the, the wicked king. The wicked king, again, takes his place of his father, Ahab. Ahab uh, had an alliance or an agreement. Uh, the, this Moab, the Moabites, were under tribute of Israel. And so the alliance had to do with the, the king of Moab sending over um, so many sheep, so many rams, and the wool that came with them. Um, and so that was an alliance that they had. Uh, you know, Moab was under tribute. You know, we make alliances with the world that we ought not to make. Uh, there are some alliances that we have made with the world uh, that, that are biting us in the foot right now. And the bite is in, yeah, anyway, but we'll go with that. But uh, uh, we, we've made some alliances that have not uh, uh, capitalized like they ought to have. Uh, what are some alliances that we keep? You know, when, when, uh, when my kids, uh, when I deal with kids in the, in the school or junior church or whatever, um, it's amazing the difference when you come to them and you have a big bag of candy. Well, man, they are sitting up straight. They're listening. They're they're paying attention. They're they're doing what they ought to be. Man, they're just little angels in there. But as soon as that candy bag runs out, and they know it, they they keep track. I don't know how they do it, but uh, they can't keep track of how many socks they have. But they can't keep track of candy in a bag. And uh, so they 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 keep track. And as soon as that candy runs out, brother Joe Lopez, I'm, uh, tell me if I'm lying. But as soon as that candy runs out, guess what? So does their attention. And man, they're, they're gone. They're, they're thinking about other things. They're being disobedient. They're running around. They're, they're jumping off of whatever they can c- jump off of, little goats. Um, but that's what happens to compare to when, when you don't have candy. And here's the thing. We make alliances for the good things that happen, for, for the benefit that comes with that. But there are some alliances that we have made as Christians that are hurting us greatly. What are some of those alliances? What about the government? Uh, we have we have made an alliance with the government. You do your thing, we'll do our thing, and uh, if we need help, we'll, we'll ask for some help. 
and uh, oh hey, can you can you help me out just a little bit over here? I need some help uh, with with this this taxing stuff, or I need some help with our church here, and a little bit of bending of the rules so we can get this and that. And we make an alliance with the government, with the state, with the country, and there are some alliances there that are hurting us now because the government has already got their hands reached in, and they don't let go. Uh, they are like a, constr- a boa constrictor; they just keep squeezing until the, all the life is gone. But that is an alliance we made as Christians. Um, people are getting arrested for, for protesting at pride parades and other events. This is, uh, you know, the, the First Amendment rights that we have are gone. Um, again, and I, I said this in Sunday school, I'll say it again. Um, those rights are not, um, my, those are not constitutional rights. Those are God-given rights that the Constitution has written out. Uh, that's not, the, con- the government does not give me my freedom of speech, does not give me the inalienable rights that we have as, as Americans. That comes from God. Uh, the, the government is just supposed to protect those rights. But the, the rights themselves, they come from God. But we've made an alliance with the government. We've let them get a little, we've gotten a little too cozy with the government, with the state. And we are, we are, we're getting, we're getting bit because of that. What are some other things? What about the, the public schools? We've made an alliance. Oh, they're, they're okay. You know, uh, it's, it's fine to have this, the, the government education. It'll be fine. And we're seeing, you know, kitty litter boxes being put into classrooms. Uh, we're seeing uh, just education being thrown out the window so that they can they can study diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, that's what they're they're studying. They're all going to be uh, gender study majors when they leave, not knowing anything about anything that would actually matter. But that is what's happening. Why? Because we've made an alliance. We've gotten too close with the schools. We uh, kids are being taught about multiple genders, promiscuity, and everything they need to everything they don't need except for the essentials. And uh, that is because of an alliance that we've made. We just let them be them, and we're going to focus on our part over here instead of altering or helping uh, what we ought to do, standing for right. Then what about entertainment? Um, even movies in, in uh, the Hallmark Channel. Uh, you know, just a couple of years ago, what happened with the Hallmark Channel? They started having uh, the, the queer relationships and things. Um, why? Well, it's, it's Hallmark. It's okay. No, it's not okay. And it's an alliance that we've made, a relationship that we've gotten too close, and they are coming back to bite us. What about Disney? Uh, when I was growing up, you just, oh, it's Disney, it's okay. You can't do that. And you should, we probably should have done it back then, for sure. But you can't do that nowadays. Uh, they're learning anything and everything, and they're teaching them at young, young, young ages. Uh, there's a preschool uh, uh, show that was teaching about trans, trans people in a preschool. Blue's Clues. Uh, they had a pride parade in Blue's Clues. I'm like, what in the world? Um, uh, they need a clue, but but anyway, but uh, the, the entertainment that we've gotten, we've gotten so cozy and we've just been so comfortable and letting them be them, and we have we have fallen apart because of this alliance that we've made. Businesses, bi- people don't care about you; they just want the money, and they'll cowtail to any any way they need to to follow the money. And we do not stand. We're seeing some of these boycotts that are actually doing something. Why? Because we're putting our money where our mouth is. Uh, but we haven't done that for so long. It's we're it's not that it's too late, but man, we are reaching that end where it, where it is seems to be too late. Uh, why? There are alliances that we've made, just like this uh, king of Israel. They made an alliance with Moab, and Moab was a wicked country. And yet they've made this alliance with them, and then eventually that Moabites, they, they, they saw weakness and they tried to overcome. And that's what we have. We have kept these alliances, and they are coming back to haunt us, because we have not stood and stood for truth. We have compromised ourselves into a corner, and we have nowhere else to go but to fight. And if we don't fight, we're just going to bend over and let them have their way. And that's not what God wants. But we see that this is the same thing that happened to Israel is happening to us as America. Um, so let's look at a couple other things here. But we see the, 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 the dynamic that's happening. This alliance, this, this alliance that Israel had with the people of Moab is coming back to haunt them. But let's look at some other things here. Uh, verse, number 11, or verse number 9. 
So the king of Israel went, and the king of Judah, and the king of Edom, and they fetched a compass of seven days' journey, and there was no water for the host and the cattle that followed after them. Now, I'm not a, a, a biologist, but I understand that uh, we need water, all right? You can go a couple, a day or two days without water, but eventually you're going to need some water. And we see that the king of Edom, the king of Israel, the king of Judah, um, they are they, they are out of water. They've gone a seven-day journey, and they're out of water. Let's keep reading. And the king of Israel said, verse number 10, Alas, that the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. So here's the thing. Uh, let's, let's keep reading verse number 14. If you skip a couple verses, verse number 14. And Elisha said, As the Lord God of hosts liveth, before whom I stand, surely, were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee, nor see thee. Now, God was not very pleased with what was happening to the king of Israel, uh, to whatever Ahab and Jezebel were, were initiating and starting, and then also what Joram was, was continuing, he was not pleased with them. And then the king of Eden, Edom, they were, that was, that was, uh, uh, from, from Jacob's brother Esau, that's his line, and they were not, they were not, they were not followers of Jesus or followers of God, and uh, so they, they, these were two evil kings, but then you have Jehoshaphat. Now the interesting thing about Jehoshaphat is the only thing we see in scripture that the problem that Jehoshaphat had is he had these close friendships with the wrong people. Uh, the wrong crowd is what Jehoshaphat stayed with. Uh, we see it here. We see it another time. He was, he was with uh, King, uh, King Ahab. And Ahab's like, hey, look, why don't you put your king clothes on and I'm not going to put my king clothes on and let's go into battle. And uh, Jehoshaphat almost lost his life. And he didn't learn from that. Um, he still got another alliance with this king of Israel. And here Jehoshaphat's in the midst of him. His, king, his people are about to die as well. Here's Jehoshaphat. He was a godly king. He sought the Lord, but just had the wrong friendships. And he was right in the same uh, circumstance and, and ending that these other kings were going to have. And so they were looking for a prophet. They said, we need somebody to, to, uh, to give us some direction. And Jehoshaphat was the one that did that. And, and what did Elisha say? He said, look, if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't even look at you. I wouldn't even try to see you. But because of Jehoshaphat, look what, look what happens here. Because um, God sees that Jehoshaphat's heart. Uh, look at verse number, let's go down to verse number 16. And this is what Elisha, this is the, uh, the advice that he gives them. And he said, Thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus saith the Lord, ye shall not see the wind, neither shall ye see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water that ye may drink, both ye and your cattle and your beasts. But this is a light thing in the sight of the Lord, and he will deliver the Moabites also into your hand. I'm thankful that there has always been throughout history a small remnant. It hasn't been large, but a small remnant of people that have stood for the truth. Uh, we have what we have today because of somebody somewhere that sacrificed, uh, sacrificed something so that we can have what we have. Uh, many people that have died and, and uh, have, have been martyrs for the cause of Christ so we could hold a Bible in our hand. So that we can have church, we can have freedom here in America. Those are, those are people that we never will see here on earth. But we are thankful and we live off the benefit of what they've sacrificed. But here's the thing, God, there's always been a small remnant of people that have stood for the truth. Elisha stood for the truth. And so he says this here to these kings, these wicked kings. He says, look, God's going to make the impossible happen. Because to you, this is a huge deal, but to God, this is a light thing. This is as if it was nothing. Uh, God, God didn't want all this to happen. Uh, you, you made the alliance to begin with with Moab. And so you, you're the one that got yourself in this predicament. But I will still take care of you. And God does a miraculous thing. 
um, he, he says, I want you to go ahead and fill the valley full of ditches. And it, those ditches, it's not going to rain, there's not going to be any clouds in the sky, but those ditches, when you wake up in the morning, will be filled with water. Now, that's an amazing miracle that, that is going to happen here. Uh, look at verse number, um, if you will, let's go ahead and read verse number, uh, and we'll start there in verse number 19. And this is again Elisha talking to them. And ye shall smite, he's saying that you're going to deliver, you're going to, the Moabites will be delivered in your hand. And every fenced city and every choice city and shall fell every good tree and stop all the wells of water and mar every good piece of land with stones. And it came to pass in the morning when the meat offering was offered that behold, there came water by the way of Edom and the country was filled with water. So God worked a miracle. There was a great miraculous event that happened. These people being seven days didn't have any water at all. We're all going to die. And God brings water to these people. Now, this miracle that happened was a twofold miracle. One, it brought water to the children of Israel. But let's look what else happened here. Verse number 21. The Bible says, and when all the Moabites heard that the kings were come up to fight against them, they gathered all that were able to put on armor and upward and stood in the border. And they rose up early in the morning and the sun shone upon the water. And the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. Look, notice what happens. Verse number 23. And they said, this is blood. The kings are surely slain and they have smitten one another. Now, therefore, Moab to the spoil. And when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and smote the Moabites, so they fled before them. But they went forward, smiting the Moabites, even into their country. Now, exactly what Elisha said was going to happen, happened. And this miracle took place. They had enough water. But not only was the water to, to, feed, to, to give water to the people, of children of Israel, but it also was used as a miracle to confuse the enemy and thinking, well, everybody's killed themselves, let's go get the spoil. And because Moab came, I'm sure they were running. Of course, you know, there's spoil there. I'm going to leave my sword, any weight that I don't have to have. I'm running to get as much gold or whatever is laying around. I want to get that. And uh, as soon as they come into the camp, the children of Israel rose up and they wrought a great victory. Here's the thing. Um, look at verse, verse number 26. And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too sore for him, he took with him 700 men that drew swords and to break through even unto the king of Eden, but they could not. And he took his eldest son that should have reigned in his stead and offered him for a burnt offering upon the wall. And there was great indignation against Israel, and they departed from him and returned to their own land. That, that last verse there is, is what the message is going to be on to this morning. But just the, the idea, you're, you're losing in battle, your men are dying left and right, and you're going to take your son, the son that's supposed to be the next heir to the throne, the next king of the Mo, of Moabites. You're going to take your son and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. For what? Nothing came from that. There was not a victory and uh, suddenly everybody just died. No, nothing came from that. He killed his son, the next person, the next heir to the throne, for nothing. For nothing. If you will, he sacrificed the future of the kingdom. He sacrificed what was supposed to happen to the Moabites. He sacrificed what God, what, what the original plan was for even the kingdom in an earthly sense. He sacrificed the future generation. He sacrificed his future. That's what we're going to focus on today. Are we sacrificing our futures? Are we sacrificing our futures? Uh, number one, what are some ways that we sacrifice our future? Again, the future is before us. God has something planned for us. God has something that He wants us to do. He wants us to see people saved. He wants us to live righteous lives. He wants us to not just take this life that we've been given and sacrifice it and waste it. 
God wants us to take the life that we've been given, the future that is in front of us, and do something with it. What are some things that that limit or sacrifice our future? What are some of those things? Number one is fear. Number one is fear. The Bible says, if if you will, go to Hebrews, if you will. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Keep a finger there in 2 Kings um, chapter 3. We'll we'll be back there for a little bit. Uh, But Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 15. Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 15. What are some of the ways that we are sacrificing our future? How are we sacrificing our future? We as Christians, unfortunately, just like this king, we are sacrificing our future for the very same reasons that this king of Moab, this wicked king of Moab, did as well. So let's look at some of those reasons. Number one is fear. Number one is fear. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 15, the Bible says this, And deliver them who through fear of death, were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. Now, the, the people in the world are subject all of their life to bondage. Why? Because of a fear of death. This fear of death is, is everywhere. The, the uh, fear, this world sells and lives off of fear. Uh, that's how kings rule. That's how uh, marketplace operates. Is, there, is a, there is a huge market or a huge upsell for fear. Um, you know, what about uh, insurance, okay? Uh, you know, I've got insurance. Before I went to Mexico, my wife was like, you better get some life insurance, okay? And I was going to Mexico for a couple days, or I think for two weeks. I was going to uh, do some missions work there. And uh, But before I left, you better get that insurance. And man, when I was on the phone with the insurance guy, I was like, well, this is the amount I want. This is how long I want it to be, just a term insurance. And he's like, are you sure? I mean, how many kids do you have? I was like, well, you know, and uh, he was like, man, you know, you wouldn't want anything to happen to those little kids. And man, he was trying to sell me on a fear. But that's what happens. That's what sells in our world today. What about these vitamins? Man, you take this vitamin, it's going gonna, it's gonna to prevent aging. It's going to take away those wrinkles. Man, you wouldn't want people to see you with a bunch of wrinkles and the fear that's there. What about security systems? And man, I'm thankful we have security systems. But man, you don't need a camera in every corner of your house, okay? Um, I, I, I personally, I don't like the inside cameras. I like outside cameras. Um, but man, you don't need a camera for every closet that you have in your house. Um, but there's a fear that happens, and we're gripped with fear. The Bible says that they, they were held in bondage because of fear of death. What are some other things? Um, you know, the, the, the fear that's in the marketplace. I think of news. Uh, man, as soon as news went to 24 hours a day, it has been nothing but fear. It no longer um, talks about the, the little boy that saved the puppy from drowning. It's all about fear. It's fear. You've all seen it. COVID happened. And what happened? You just saw fear. Well, we will give you safety because there is something really, 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 really bad out there. And you have to trust us. And because of fear, we sacrifice our future. Because of fear, we say, all right, just whatever you think will help me because I'm I'm so afraid. Look at verse number... uh, I'll read it for you. Verse number 26 of 2 Kings 3. The Bible Bible says, And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too sore for him, he took with him 700 men that drew the swords to break through even unto the king of Eden, but they could not. So you understand this king of Moab is looking around and he's like, man, we are not winning this war. And he was afraid. And so you know what he had, what he did? He said, all right, I need 700 of my biggest guys. We're breaking through. I've got to get home. i got to get home. I'm scared. And there was a fear that was there for this king. And there's a fear that's here for us. Uh, if, we, if we are not careful, uh, fear will grip us into a bondage that is very difficult to break free from. 
Uh, you, I, I, I was in, I'm in church ministry. Um, when I was in Tennessee, man, there were people who was like, don't you dare knock on my door during COVID. All right. Don't you dare. Man, I, you know, make sure that you wear your mask from the time you get into the restaurant until you sit down. If you take it off just two seconds before you sit down, man, we're all going to die. You're a super spreader at that point. And what happened? There was a fear that not only was pushed and pumped out by the, by, by news media and, and people as well, but there was a fear that we had. Uh, man, I remember, I remember when it was all coming down and I remember going to the gas pump and my wife's like, here, here's a plastic bag. And I'm taking a plastic bag and I'm grabbing the handle with a plastic Walmart bag. There's a lot of uses for Walmart bags. And I put that gas into the van and I'm just sitting here thinking, oh, sorry, you can't hear me. I'm just sitting here thinking, man, we're all going to die. This is it. And there was a fear, if we're not careful, we will be brought into bondage because of fear. Fear is everywhere. And God has the opposite of fear. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, God has the opposite of fear. Because fear keeps us in sin because we're afraid to make a change. If we're afraid, I'm not going to make a change. I'm not going to do anything different. I'm afraid of what's going to happen. I'm, gonna, I'm afraid of what other people will think. I'm afraid because you know fear causes us to manipulate others to get what we want. That's what fear does. It will keep us from getting relationships right. And ultimately, fear keeps us from God. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Jesus Christ has a love for us that casts away, the Bible says, casts away fear. So you say, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm, I don't know what's going to happen. Man, I don't know what's down the road. But God says, I, I, the love that I have casts away that fear. God's remedy for fear is the perfect Christ-filled love. We are to cast out fear by showing and living Christ's perfect love. There is a, uh, there's a song. Um, uh, oh, man, I should have wrote it down. I didn't write it. But uh, uh, oh, I don't, um, something. Oh, my goodness. Uh, about tomorrow. Yeah, anyway, never mind. Sorry. Anyway. Uh, anyway, so, but I, I'm not afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm not afraid of what's down the road because I know who holds my hand. That's what it is. Uh, it's Jesus that holds my hand. And He's the creator of tomorrow. He's the one that has given me strength. He's the one that has given me life. And I don't have to fear what tomorrow holds. I don't have to fear what's, what's ahead and what's going to happen 20 years down the road. I have strength and I have peace because of the love that Jesus has given me. When is the last time that you did something for somebody else? When's the last time that you showed Christ's love to another person? Well, man, I'm, I'm living in fear. I don't know what's going to happen. Well, why don't you love somebody else? Why don't you take that perfect love of, of Christ that casts out fear and give it to somebody else? Why don't you tell somebody about Jesus? Why don't you do something for someone else and show God's perfect love to someone else? This is the greatest description of God's love that I've ever come across. And it's in the song, The Love of God. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? And everyone a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. That is the love of God. God's love transcends any fear that we may have. God's love goes before anything that would, would keep you in fear, in bondage of fear. God's love is what casts out that fear. So if you're afraid this morning, you're afraid of what's happening, you're afraid of what, what's going to happen. Man, when we started having kids, man, this is uh, people told us, man, you don't need to be having kids right now. This is too crazy in this world. And man, we were there for a little bit. Man, do we have, do we have kids? I don't know what's going to happen. 
And but you know what? We had to say God is going to give us a child if it's God's will, and God is going to take care of that baby till the day he dies because God has shown us love. We're not going to let fear keep us from doing God's will. And God has given the love of God everywhere. Don't live in fear. You are sacrificing your future. The first thing we see that happened with this king of Moab is he had fear. He was afraid. He saw that the battle was done. And because of the fear, it brought him to sacrificing his son. What's the next thing that happens um, in our life that, that keeps us, uh, that, that helps us sacrifice our future? First is fear. Secondly is failure. Uh, we notice there in, in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse number 26, that he got those 700 men together to break through through Edom, but they could not. They could not do it. These 700 men and the king and his son, they tried to break through this, uh, this, this battalion. They tried to get through to get through to their, their hometown, but they could not. They failed. And you know what? We, we see here that not only did the king have fear, but he had a failure. He had failure in his life. And because of the failure, um, the, the, it brought him to sacrifice his son. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 12, you're, you're there in Hebrews, look at verse number, uh, chapter 12 and verse number 1. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1, the Bible says this, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Well, that is really nice and very, very nice to say to somebody, but it's a whole different thing to live that. Why? Because we are full of failures. I am a, I am a dad, I'm a husband, I'm a Christian, I'm a man, and I have failures all throughout my life. I could look at my life and, man, I, I could bring myself down really quickly with the failures that I have. Just yesterday, we, were, we had a funeral here. And uh, we had a funeral here, and the family was coming. And I opened up the, the service. It was my first funeral I ever did. And I was super nervous. And I opened up the service, and I said, you know, we're, we're here to, to, for the life of Dr. Robbins. And his name, and I said Robbins like two or three times. His name was Dobbins, but I said Robbins. That's, that's not something you want to start a funeral at, okay? My, my life, again, we have failure in our lives. We have a failure of, in, in America, there's single-parent families. There's suicide. There's violence. There's drugs. The lost are going to hell every day because failures on one part of another. Personal sin that we have in our lives, we have there because of failures in our character. We have them because of failures in our life. Uh, man, I, 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 I am not the perfect example in anything other than salvation. That's the only thing. If I, if I could only preach on things I'm perfect at, salvation would be the only thing because Jesus Christ already took care of that. But I tell you, we all have failures. There are areas in our life that we have failed in. But here's the thing. The devil will keep that failure in front of you. The devil will keep you in failure. He will keep you in fear. And if fear's not going to work, he's going to keep you in failure. Uh, failure, man, am I, am I not good enough? Am I not going to be able to provide for my family? Am I not spiritual enough? Am I, whatever, you fill in the blank. But failure can creep into our lives and we will, we will focus on our failures and not on our future. And we sacrifice our future. What is God's remedy? God's remedy is this. You're in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1, talks about telling us what we should do. And this is how this happens. You ready? Verse number 2. He says, Put it with, uh, let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of whose faith? Our faith. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. 
where, where, I must, where I have mistakes, where I have failures, where I stutter, where I make mistakes and, and, uh, and cause myself to, to stumble. God is the one that completes my faith. God is the one that makes up the difference. God is the one that fills in those gaps and fills in those cracks and fills in those holes in my life. Where I have failure, God can bring success. Where I have weaknesses, God's strength can be made perfect. Because God is the God of, of failure. God understands that we are failures. And God takes our failures and does something beautiful, something special with those failures. That's God's remedy, is looking to who? Jesus. Not looking at my problems, not looking at my failures, but I'm looking to Jesus because He is the author and the finisher of my faith. It's not me trying to do the best that I can. Yes, you should do the best you can, but you are going to fail. And if you rely only on your works and your goodness, you are going to fail. You need Jesus Christ. You need Jesus Christ to fill in those gaps. When you have low days, <clears throat> when you don't feel sufficient, look to Jesus. His strength is made perfect in weakness. Go ahead and turn back to Second uh, Kings chapter 3. And look at verse number 27. <clears throat> so we understand that this king of Moab, um, he, he sacrificed his future, one, because of fear... Secondly, because of failure, but then look at verse number 27. Then he took his eldest son that should have reigned in his stead and offered him for a burnt offering upon the wall. And there was great indignation against Israel. And they departed from him and returned to their own land. We understand, number one, in this king, he sacrificed his future. He sacrificed the future of so many people because of fear, because of failure, but also because of frustration. He had indignation. There was a hatred towards Israel. He was frustrated with the whole situation. And he let frustration sacrifice his future. You know what happens in our lives is that we let frustration build. We let tension build. We are, uh, we, we, the, the world has no hope. The world has no remedy. So they, all they have is fear and they have, they have failure. Put that together and there's frustration that mounts. And man, you have a, a, a summer of 2020 where there's riots and everybody, don't you dare call me that name or I'm going to burn your house down, whatever it is. And man, this person did this to me and this, this person said evil things or bad things or, you know, true, mostly true things about me and I'm offended. And we wear our feelings on our sleeves and because of that, we're frustrated. We're frustrated. And because frustration will eat at you until eventually you'll sacrifice your future. Man, I'm frustrated. I, this, is the, 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 this is not the way I planned my life. This is not the way I wanted things to go. And you're frustrated and you won't accomplish anything because you're living in frustration. Man, I didn't really plan on, 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 on getting this job or losing my job or, or having this house. I, I didn't plan on any of those things. And if you dwell on those negatives, you will be frustrated. You will be frustrated in your life. The Bible says there in 2 Kings chapter 3, we're look, look at verse number 24. I want to see what happens. What's God's remedy? We understand that frustration, fear, and failure, they build to frustration. But then verse number 24, the Bible says this, And when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites sat down and let them defeat them. No! What does it say? They rose up and smote the Moabites. Here's the thing. What is God's remedy? God knows that we have fear. God knows that we have failures in our life. And God knows that there is frustration that comes in this life that we live. But God's remedy for us is to get up. It's not to stay down where the devil can kick you around and keep you down on the ground. But God wants us to get up. Those children of Israel, they wouldn't have gotten a victory if they would have stayed in their tents. 
They wouldn't have had a victory if they would have stayed down. But they rose up. They said, you know what? We're coming after this enemy head on. We're going to attack this enemy. And because of them rising up, they got to defeat the Moabites. Don't let the devil keep you down. You're not going to be frustrated when you're thinking about God's love. You're not going to be frustrated when you're helping other people and sharing God's love with other people. You're not going to be frustrated when you're leaning on God and your failures. That is where the frustration comes. But you're not going to be frustrated if you rise up. Don't let the devil keep you down. Don't let these circumstances of life hold you down where you're not able to do anything. God has given you life. God has given you breath. You are not in, This is not the end of your life. God still has something for you to do. He's not done with you. Your future is not expendable. Don't waste this life that God has given you. Don't waste it with the world and, 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 and frilly things and things like that are just for entertainment. I'm not against entertainment. But don't spend your life on those things. And when you die and go to heaven, God says, you live in America. You had the whole King James Bible. You had everything that you needed to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. And you, you got the, the brand new house. Woohoo! Good for you. Now, go ahead. Get inside. You know, I don't want that to happen to me. God has given us so much, and yet we, we, we let these failures and the fear of our life keep us from what God has for us. We sacrifice our future because of those things. Here's the thing, and I'm, I'm almost finished here. But if you are not saved, you do not have... Excuse me, I'm sorry. If you're not saved, you do not have the love of God, nor the strength that He brings. All of these things come from our Heavenly Father. Jesus Christ loved the world. He sent His Son, Jesus. Uh, God loves the world. He sent His Son, Jesus, into the world to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if I don't have Jesus, uh, if I don't have Jesus' gift in my heart, if I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven, imagine the fear that I would have. Imagine the failures, uh, because again, nobody, even the, uh, the monk that sits in the, in the, uh, you know, wherever in Asia, and he just sits there for his whole life and, and, and doesn't do anything wrong, he's still a sinner. He still deserves to die and go to hell without Jesus Christ, because we are full of failures. We are full of fear. But God is the one that brings life. The Bible says, John 3.36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That's God's wrath. Uh, a lot of people tell me, well, we're all God's children. No, we're not. We're all God's creation. You don't become a child of God until First John, uh, I think it's First John 12 tells us that as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God. You have to receive Jesus Christ. You have to receive the gift of salvation. If you don't, you have the wrath of God abiding on your life. Trust in Jesus today. You will not regret it. He will fill you with love and you'll be reconciled to God. You have to decide this morning. Look, God has given us a future. I don't know what that is. Everybody has a different future. My future is different, looks different than Brother Heaney back there. My future looks different than Brother Randy. But God is not done with you. Don't waste these, these last years. Who knows what's going to happen this year? It's an election year. Man, anything crazy could happen. I do not want to waste this time. I remember, I remember again in 2020, and I referenced that because it's just, it's an easy thing for us to, to realize the fear that was there. But I remember we were, we were in lockdown. And it was just the beginning. And I remember thinking, man, if the Lord comes back and I have wasted all this time that I could have been telling somebody about Him. When you can't go soul winning, I think, wow, what have I done? Um, I, it was even to the point where I, I, I dressed in a suit. I was actually wearing this suit here. I dressed in a suit and I stood on the corner of a, of a street with a, with a cardboard sign. And I said, do you need hope? 
and I had a big old question mark on it. And I was giving people gospel tracts because nobody wanted to have them co- have you come to their door anymore. Amen. But I had to realize, look, God has only given us a short window of time. Nobody is promised to live until you're 80. Nobody is promised tomorrow. Don't waste the future God has for you. Man, you woke up today, do something for God today. Man, you, you live in fear, man, think about God's love. Show God's love to somebody else. You, you, you're dwelling on the failures that you've had in your life. Don't let those failures keep you down. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And don't be frustrated. Think about Jesus' love. Think about Jesus Christ. He's the only one that helps us. He's the only one that's going to get you out of here. He's the only one that can help you do what you need to do for your future. If I, if I could do what God wanted me to do by myself, then what's the point of the Holy Spirit? What's the point of God's power? No, I cannot do what God wants me to do without Him. And so I say, Jesus, I know I'm a failure. Jesus, I know I have weaknesses and I have mistakes in my life. But would you do something through my life? God, would you give me what I need for tomorrow? Would you give me what I need to be able to accomplish your will in my life? God has a will for us. Are we sacrificing that future? Are we sacrificing it for, uh, for entertainment, for the world? Are we giving it to God and giving the best we can while the time we have left here on earth? That's my message today. God loves you and He wants you to do something. He's not done with you. You're, you most of you walked in here just fine. God is, still has a plan and a purpose for you. Don't waste the future you've been given. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray. If you're here this morning and you do not know for sure that if you died you'd go to heaven... You can know that for sure. There's no, uh, there's no magic 12 steps. There's not magic words you have to repeat. It's only in believing in Jesus Christ. That's it. And if you do not know for sure that you're going to heaven, God wants you to receive salvation. He's done everything He needs to do. He's left it up to you. The decision is yours if you want to accept Him.